0: and welcome to this week's edition of Virtually Speaking with Jay Ackroyd. I'm here tonight with uh, two iconic classic superstars, Sterling Newberry and uh, Fish Grease. Fish Grease, of course, the a petroleum engineer who uh, made his claim to same at the Daily Coast Cyrus talking about the Gulf the Gulf oil spill, and Sterling just has been all over the web talking about various things having to do with the economy and the future. Um we're going to talk tonight about – we're going to kick off by referring back to an article written by Bill McKibben in Rolling Stone that talks about global – it's entitled Global Warming's Terrifying New Math," And then he identifies three numbers. The first number is 2 degrees Celsius. And, Sterling, do you want to say why he picks that number?
1: Um, he picks that number because it's a rough estimate of how much – Temperature increase our current agricultural system can bear. Basically, at that number, things start falling apart very quickly, or at least we think they do. Um,
0: and it's a political number too. It's it's the number that the the Kyoto people and the global you know meetings people could agree was clearly a number where we would have big trouble, right? It, it's not like it was a scientifically arrived at number. It's a politically arrived at number, but it's one. That well, it's a it's
1: a consensus between. Um, Science, it's the the highest number that they could pick without looking like total
0: morons. (laughs) Fair enough. And and that number reflects pumping 565 gigatons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere um, through human activity, right? Uh, Carbon
1: equivalent, equivalent, uh, not just carbon dioxide, but all of the things that we do that on net increase the temperature of the atmosphere and the hydrosphere
0: essentially de-sequestering tens of millions of years of of carbon being stored away through various natural processes, right? And the third number is, hold on, I thought I had it in front of me, is 2.795 gigatons, I'm sorry, 2,795 gigatons. That's the amount of proven reserves that, various energy companies have, coal, oil, and gas reserves of the fossil fuel companies have reported um, in their annual reports and in various places. Okay, that, that, does, is,
2: that does or does not include coal there?
0: Uh, it does include coal. Okay. Proven coal and oil and gas reserves. That was Fisheries. Okay. Thank you, Fisheries. Uh, the point is, is that um, the point that McKibben makes is that This means that the energy, quote, energy companies are valued as if they'll be able to use reserves that um, they can't use, really. Sterling?
1: Well, um, McKibben makes that assertion. I'm going to make a bigger assertion, and that is that that's not the value of the energy companies. That's the value of more or less the physical part of the whole carbon economy. Because sooner or later, almost all of the profits from burning carbon are going to flow to an energy company that everybody else who's involved in the carbon economy is is more or less at break-even, right? That airline companies and car companies and, you know, virtually everybody else is working for nothing, and the profits are sooner or later going to drain down into Saudi Arabia and other energy companies. So that's not the value of just Texaco, even though uh, if you're a progressive, you love to hate energy companies, and you love to hate the Koch brothers, and you love to hate resource rapists, but reality
2: that's the whole value of the whole society
0: this
2: is
0: the truth? i agree is it, i agree uh, well, um you gotta say more
2: than that man Well, <laughs> i i uh I, I, I can just say I agree on that i mean saying that that energy companies are overvalued um how do you say in is he talking in terms of terms of the stock market?
0: Yeah, what he's saying is that you
2: Well, the stock market you, you, never made any sense at all anyway. I mean, when you're talking about um, uh, real value, you don't talk about the stock market.
1: Yeah, I mean, what we're really talking about is that the oil companies represent a form of social engineering. If you look at the value of, say, Apple Corporation, it's not the value of the gadgets they make or the things that they're made of. It's made up of the debt that Apple Computer Corporation can continue to socially engineer the way people mediate with telecom and the content universe. So they're really saying that most of the profits for content are eventually going to flow down into telecoms and into Apple, not in the hands of artists, not in the hands of, of consumers, not in the hands of most of the people in the chain who are largely break even proposition. Most of it's going to end up in the hands of Google and Apple and uh, the, the various type owners. and. Uh, McKibben really needs to be more courageous about his assertion and say, well, we value, you can value the entire society at X amount of carbon, and if we actually burn X amount of carbon, we won't make it. Not in the cur- current form that there's a, a contradiction. If we burn all that oil, we'll, uh, we'll all be right, in real trouble.
2: Exactly. One of my main points is that um, there is no new technology that will allow developed nations to maintain anything resembling their current lifestyles and and get through this. I mean, uh, what do you mean? It, it, um,
0: You're saying that, that that the current way in which the economies operate in the OECD is unsustainable.
2: Well, one thing the environmental movement is good at these days. Is 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 uh, telling us to look at at new ways of producing energy, and they're concentrating on on solar and and all these things that are that are non hydrocarbon based. They call them renewable energy. Um, those there is not enough of those things to turn this around, and as long as we keep looking at at energy production instead of energy use and energy conservation. Then there's no way to do this. There's no way for us to maintain our present lifestyles. Anything close to this, anything close to this, and avert uh, global disaster.
0: And you're not it's just talking just about
2: not possible,
0: right? In 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 an Atlantic cover piece, James Salo's had on clean coal. He makes the same point. He says it doesn't matter. You can do every every <laughs> excuse me every thing you can think of for quote sustainable wind, solar, whatever but there's just not enough there to maintain the lifestyles of the OACP. There simply isn't. Is that not true, Sterling?
1: Well, it depends on what you mean by the living standard. If you mean our way of life if you mean I'm going to get in my car and drive 35 miles to work and then I'm going to get in a tall building which is blasted down to 68 degrees Fahrenheit in the middle of a heat wave and then get back into my my car and drive to McDonald's and, and eat, you know, more or less several pounds of carbon in the form of a McDonald's hamburger and then drive the rest way back, back home where I also live in air conditioning, no, it, there's no way there to maintain that. Uh, that's black demand, and,
0: demand for carbon. And that's a segue to what fish grease is trying to say so fish grease
2: yes um we need to start looking at energy conservation changing the the, the way we we look at at everything with that the, that comprises our lifestyle and that's one thing that i've i've been disappointed with the my fellow progressives lately is is that they keep expecting someone else to solve this problem in other words they're saying I even see uh, progressives on Twitter advocating high-speed rail, and we can't have high-speed anything. And keep the yeah. keep the correct minds, mindset. We have to slow everything down. Now, as far getting getting back to McKibben, um, he is not a scientist. He's a, he's a journalist, right. and a lot of his numbers are very suspect. I mean, even. Even climate scientists look at some of his the numbers he pump publishes, like on the KXL pipeline and stuff, and they cringe because of the, guy, the guy some of the stuff I'll, I'll tell you the truth I, I think he just pulls some of the stuff out of his ass. In 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 this case, in this case, I think his numbers are accurate, or or maybe he's he's even being being a little conservative here.
0: This is the
2: best written article I've ever read. Right here,
0: the numbers he's using in this piece are the ones that even the United States would agree to saying these are numbers we should be concerned about. Yes, yes, and so that's why I said in the outset: it's a political numbers, not science numbers. Um, So the thing is, the thing is, fisheries. When when you talk about conservation. What happens in my head is, is I can't remember who it was. It might actually be in the same McKibben piece. Um, We can replace all of our light bulbs with these low-energy light bulbs if we want to. But that's not going to change the fact that the LCD TV screens we're watching um, suck up much, much more energy than the CRTs that we used to watch.
2: That's right. That's right. Bill Maher Maher has one of the the biggest uh, carbon footprints on the planet because everybody's turning on their TVs and watching them once a week on HBO. And we we just, we can't keep doing things like this. Well, we can. No, we can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> if, if Oops, we do, if, it's what I call the arrogance <laughs> of the presently living. Okay? Yeah, yeah it, we can do it that, we yeah, live yeah. our lives, but it, it's only going to take a few generations, and this whole thing's going to come crashing down.
1: It, it also depends on, on who you are. It's like... Uh, if you're 90 years old, sure, you're probably going to win the death bet on this one. If you're 25 years old, you're almost certainly going to lose it. And if you're a 25-year-old and thinking about having
2: kids, your kids are definitely going to lose that bet. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: That's the thing that I think so many people don't understand. And it's showing up in our politics to some degree. I mean, you know, with this movement towards more urban living, towards kids not driving, towards young people being less engaged with, uh, the suburban lifestyle is an indication of this partly, but w- w- it's it's hard to see how we're getting out of it. There's too many people, too deeply invested in making money off of this in this generation.
1: Well, and, that's, and that's, that, that includes that's that numbers. Includes, most useful, right? That's 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 the that's the, the what we have to reconcile is that we've made promises to ourselves and other people that require burning a lot more carbon than we can burn and keep those promises. The two numbers. Uh, intersect, and the other number that's sort of hiding here is, is the peak oil number, and that peak oil number is going to drive us to, in fact, burning more carbon faster.
0: Yeah. Um, the peak oil number, you mean, what, what do you mean by that? Okay. Not everybody uh, knows what you mean by the peak fa- oil. The fa- okay. The, the theory of peak oil
1: from, from Hubert King essentially says you're going to find all of your oil in a normal distribution curve, the classic bell curve, okay? And so what you do is you take the estimate of ultimately recoverable oil or ultimately recoverable carbon, and halfway through, you'll have found half of it. And after that, the amount that you can produce goes down because you found all the easy stuff, and you're getting to the harder and harder and harder and harder stuff, which in our case also means, which you didn't think about, but we now have to, as your production gets harder and harder and harder, the carbon budget gets worse. Not only do you have to put more energy in to get less energy out, you also get more carbon out. You get more waste
0: out. Oddly enough, Correct? you also put more water in, and water is also a resource that's an issue. Now, well,
1: water water, and energy are the old trade-off. You, you you spend water to get energy, and you spend energy to get water, and that goes back to the beginnings of irrigation agriculture some 6,000 years ago.
0: Well, you know, folks who and following the show know that I do believe that we're actually engaging in a lengthy experiment on whether or not centralized agriculture is a good way to preserve the species homo sapiens um but that's still an open question
1: we can um, it's in can't. our genes it's in our genes you know our, our our it's in our genes you can see the signs of water agriculture hitting human society it's in our genes mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but the water agriculture was an innovation just six to ten thousand years ago, and people have been around for longer than that, much longer. Yeah, well, that.
1: which which is which is why people who don't live near water agriculture, say Aborigines in Australia, don't have immune immune systems that protect them from parasites because they don't they don't hang out in water that's been defecated in. As soon as human beings started using water for agriculture, they started having parasite problems, and that shows up in your genes. You can look at somebody's genes and find, figure out whether or not they come from water agriculture or not.
0: That's absolutely true. Wow. Point of fact.
2: Cool.
0: Fish grease, you were about to say something.
2: That's. Uh, I just. I never realized that you could. Uh, you could. You could look at uh, someone's water lineage in their in their genes. That that's. Uh, that's that's a cool well,
0: fact. one of the one of the really cool things that's been happening in um, bio in biology research has been the role of viruses in evolution. We had Frank Ryan on about six months ago. He's coming back at the last the end of this month to talk about uh, the role that viruses play in, in human evolution. But um, the thing is, is that those are hunks of DNA that have been injected into the human genome, and they are often in response to um, you know bad stuff like Parasite. like uh, parasites. And so the parasite-fighting the parasite sequences um, proved that there were the people were around the parasites at the time. That's the point, isn't it, Sterling?
1: Yeah, well, um, I'd like to reference the, the late Lynn Margulis' work on how genes don't just move vertically, but they move horizontally. And when you start having things like transportation and you start having things like water agriculture, that changes the way human evolution works because it changes what you're exposed to.
0: Right. right, and we've had Lynn on the show actually, folks. If you do want to, if you do want to do a search on Lynn Margulis, M A R G U L I S, you can find her discussing these issues. She's really groundbreaking, very brilliant, very brave biologist. One of the great who, uh, minds of
1: the last fifty years. One of the great minds of the last fifty years. Um, yes,
0: just completely un, un, uninhibited by you know what the standard line was, and mm-hmm. did some really br- brilliant work. Sorry, off, off topic again. Um, uh,
1: no, very much on topic in the sense that what we're talking about is we cannot sustain the way we are living now because the effects, the back effects, most particularly in the way agriculture and nations are set up. Right now we have a world which is structured around there are hard national boundaries and you can't cross them without trouble. But in a world where what's fertile land and what's not fertile land is going to shift dramatically, you can't get away with that anymore. This is going to be like the great barbarian migrations that ended the, the world the ancient antiquity or that ended the first period of old empires. People are going to say, I don't care what the border is. I'm going to cross it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go where I can eat. We're changing. Because, be-
2: because my former orchard is now a desert. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. My horses can't eat the sand. Um, yeah. And I rely on them. So so to get back to, to McKibben's thesis on the value of the, the oil companies, I'm going to go back to, that's the value of everything. And if it's extracted by oil companies for oil or for the carbon economy, it's going to come out of somebody else, right? And the, the real deficit is how much is going to come out of the rest of the global economy, because if we burn the extra 100 gigatons of carbon, that's, that many hectares of once fertile land, which will now be arid, desertification, reduced to growing sawgrass, right? That's how much value is going to be stolen by the carbon economy from all the rest of the parts of the economy.
0: Growing sawgrass in order to make ethanol, you mean?
1: Well, uh, you can, but uh, that's not going to save your... your, your well, why, why, did you days, right? it, why did you choose
0: sawgrass? Why did you choose sawgrass?
1: Um, I've done some work with with biodepolymerization and with uh, various kinds of breaking down cellulose into ethanol cell F. And, uh, you know, one of the things you have to realize is that the reason in the 1960s they thought there was going to be mass starvation and it didn't happen was the Green Revolution. And the Green Revolution is essentially applying internal combustion engines to microagriculture. So really the most valuable use for the internal combustion engine at the end of the day is for agriculture, and you can't even overuse it there because if you overuse it there, you'll start destroying your soil with too much nitrogen. You'll create dead zones in the ocean and things like that. But as a way of producing enough calories, that's the boutique use of carbon that we will eventually start to husband it for. We'll eventually start to say the most useful thing you can do with the internal combustion engine is feed people with it. And we yes. will start telling people you can't use uh, petroleum because petroleum will be way too expensive and way too valuable as a chemical to waste on burning in an engine, right? These are things we can do with, with oil. That's the, the worst of them.
2: Yep, and and the the idea that I'm, I've plugged this ahead of time on on Twitter that I was going to announce an idea that would that would cut and cut carbon. Uh, Release into the atmosphere in the United States of America, and cut our our, our hydrocarbon fuel consumption by um, many percent.
0: Well, you said forty
2: percent. Um, I, I I said forty. Now all of that is not going to come out of my idea. Is the same idea that Jimmy Carter had. Okay, it's cutting the national speed limit to fifty-five miles an hour. By law, not by education, not by getting everybody together and saying, you know, let's let's all drive slower. Uh,
0: not by that. You're in Montana, and you're saying this?
2: Yes, I am.
0: <laughs> Is that I, 75? It's
2: not going to affect me because I already, anytime I go anywhere, I already set my uh, my uh, speed cruise control on these 75-mile-an-hour highways up here. I drive 55 because I've found that in, in my truck, uh, at 75, I get 15 miles to the gallon. And at 55, I get 22 miles to the gallon.
1: And so, I'm going to add, as an East Coast person, I burn half of my gas going 15 miles an hour in congestion. Every person right. that you can get to work at home every day is tremendously valuable because... Each person reduces the amount of traffic and makes everybody else more efficient. The problem with conservation is price. Every gallon of gas that you save makes gas that much cheaper. It means somebody else is going to burn it. That's why. That's why.
2: Somebody like me in the one
1: percent. I don't notice the price of gas. Price of gas could double tomorrow, and it wouldn't affect anything in my life other than I might buy a couple less croissants. Right but Right now, income inequality contributes to poor distribution of resources because down in the working class, you notice the price of gas. Every dime, every nickel matters to you. Beyond a very uh, specific point, the price of gas is utterly irrelevant to you. It's round-off error in your racquetball club membership, (laughs) right? Seriously, I I spend
2: less than than
1: 3% of my income on gasoline. If I didn't make a lot of money, I would notice. But but the
2: 1%ers are, we, I'm in the one, I just entered the 1%ers myself,
1: okay? Yeah. So
2: we 1%ers are called 1%ers for a reason, because... We're, we're using 1% of our
1: brain power, that's why. Well, um, yeah,
2: uh, probably. We're we're less than 1% of the population. So, in as far as carbon release, our behavior uh, doesn't make that much difference.
1: Well, it does. The, yes, the behavior of like, the 99% like of
2: does make it, make a difference.
1: If you're, if you're like, like a lot of us,
2: you're you reason in I'm a saying bubble. We you have travel to make by. it a Private law. Jet,
1: you, don't go, you don't take the subway from LaGuardia to... You're building in Manhattan. You take a well, helicopter. Well, you
0: can't do that. You take a bus, actually, if you're getting from LaGuardia. Yeah, you have to take a <laughs> bus, and you have
1: to get on the subway, and and so on. But if you're a one percenter, uh, bus, subway, car—that's You know,
2: the, They've defined uh, the one percenters. That's all the way down to less than five hundred grand a year now. So you know, I'm I'm and I'm barely into that. So I'm no, I'm not going to take a helicopter anywhere.
1: Yeah. Well, you know. So. So one of the things that we, have, we need to get back to in terms of people's realization is that as long as people want the products of the carbon economy, every dollar of every ounce of carbon that you spend, somebody else will say, well, I'll have one of those, please. We need to change what people want in this world. And right now we want things that can only be gotten by burning carbon, right? You can do a lot of things with an electrical vehicle, running helicopters not any of them. <laughs> do a lot of things with, with digital telecommunications, but having a separate hospital system for the wealthy isn't any of them. As long as you want to live like a celebrity or to have a supercar or to live way out in, in, in rural areas when you're not a farmer, then there's no way in the world that you can do those things and not burn carbon at the end of the day. That's right.
0: And fisheries. One of the things that really strikes you about this is that progressives um, have a hard time living up to the principles they need to live up to if they were really serious about this.
2: Oh, that's 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 absolutely correct. Um, part of the problem I have with progressives is 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 the, in the environmental movement is that that. I don't care how passionately you feel about something, or, any, or or any of the rest of that. You need to stay factual. You need you need to stick with science. And I've begun to see some parallels with the global warming deniers, and uh, and the people that are say against Fracs, or against KXL. And they may think they're justified in putting out, pulling numbers out of their ass and putting them out there, but they're not. They need to stay factual. They have enough facts on their side. Um, that they don't need to to make stuff up. For instance, on fracks, for instance, uh, everybody the main thing the what what they are doing is they've they've adopted the techniques of the Tea Party, wherein uh, your ideas do not have to be true, truthful, or even plausible. They just have to be scary. So all the antifrac people are saying that the main reason they don't want fracs to occur is because it's going to poison the drinking water. Well, you look at the, you look at the actual facts. Um, the biggest polluter of drinking water aquifers in the United States of America is agriculture. By far. By far. It's nitrates filtering down into the aquifer and then getting pumped back out of the aquifer where some more nitrates are mixed with them and then into there again. When you look but at the software.
0: But amusingly f- enough, that's also what Sterling calls the carbon economy, right? I mean right, it's petroleum based exactly, fertilizers exactly. we're talking about.
2: But um and and the second one is uh there are thousands and thousands and thousands of miles of leaking pipe in the ground right now in in, in every country in the world that are leaking dangerous chemicals into into the in into the ground and into the aquifers, and it's our sewer systems. We don't keep up on them because we like to, we like to pay low taxes. So w- that's number one and two. If you look way, 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 way down the list, you'll find fracks. So where are that's- all the protests about agriculture and everything else? No, it's because a drilling rig is an ugly thing, and people are starting to see them out their living room windows now.
1: Well, also people are are worried about. View everything through land values because that's the the piece of the carbon economy that most people get to profit from. The reason people are worried about fracking is because most people, at least out here on the East Coast, don't own the mineral rights, which virtually means that if there's fracking, their house is condemned. Because that's the way the law works on mineral rights, and you're out in the West; so they even have water law out there as well.
2: Right? I don't and, know I'm, any homes that have been. I don't know if that if that's a very common problem. Homes being. It, it, because it, of it's going
1: ha- it, it's, it's to happen because a lot of people bought the homes under the assumption that there were no minerals underneath the house that were worth re- extracting. And uh, you see in Out West, I'm sure people who bought a house and found out later that if you don't own the mineral rights, the water rights, and the stumping rights, you're uh, basically sitting there until somebody who does own those rights can get around to extracting them. Right. Well, yeah, so but, that's why people that, that, worry that about mean, it because suddenly they go, "Oh my God." You know, I don't really own I don't really own this land because a lot of the, the the houses are sold without mineral rights, and that means that as soon as somebody comes along, and says it's time for me to take the gas out of the ground.
2: That's
1: it. And, You're well, done.
2: well, they can, but, but the thing is, they can keep that home and just let them pull the gas from out uh, from under the ground. The um, only n- thing it
1: hurts is not the way the, not the way the law works, fish grease, you know it, and that's why people are worried. They're not worried about, okay, the, well, worried okay. about the house. Okay.
2: Well, okay. Then, then tell me. Tell me instances of people actually losing their homes because of uh, because of fracking.
1: It's, a, it's actually happening in eastern Pennsylvania now, but it's happened because of oil drilling and all kinds of other things in the past. Because that's the way the law works. So what we're really talking about in opposition to fracking is people suddenly realizing, oh wait a minute, this isn't this drilling isn't no, happening I, in I,
2: Saudi I disagree. Arabia. That's it's not that's here. not what that's not their main point. I saw. Mark Ruffalo on uh, Real Time with Bill Maher, mm-hmm. and it reminded me a lot of back in the seventh grade when we had a cop come in and tell us that uh, marijuana would cause open source. Nothing he said had any truth to it. Okay? People okay. who are afraid for something <laughs>
1: they own don't want to stand up and say, <laughs> it's my an money. He's
2: and he doesn't know anything about fracking.
1: Well... Um, a lot of people don't know a lot of a, a lot, anything about the Middle East, and that doesn't
0: stop them from writing articles on Israel either.
2: Well, that's, that's true. That's true. You know. Okay. So, back so, to what do we want back, to go back, back to? We, the,
0: we want to go back to conservation. Paul, practices that at least. You know, one of the things that's really disconcerting is you know, listening the Beltway Beltway progressives who are pursuing um, you know the lifestyle of you know the one percent and. Saying that they're concerned about environmental issues—that's the other thing that rankles you, isn't it, Fishers?
2: Absolutely, and not only them, but but my fellow progressives online. Um, some of whom, like I said, are are pushing uh, saviors like uh, high speed rail and things like that. It's, that well, why is high and, speed and, rail
0: not a savior?
2: Well. For um, the same
0: reason, the fracking
2: is not a harm that's
1: reduction; it's not a harm harm removal, right? Uh, if if we had 40 years ago decided to go to a low carbon footprint, we would be able to have a lot more headroom now. But that the uh, carbon budget that we could use to have a better life in the future has been spent. Um, but we mean like,
0: the U.S. I mean, because uh, we, our carbon footprint is a global
1: problem. This is a global problem. Remember that the U.S., Europe. China, India, are all pursuing essentially the same vision of the world. And yes, the U.S. is the biggest offender because we have the smallest population burning the most carbon for our lifestyle, but that's the model for the rest of the world. So we're in the situation of imagine you're a smoker and you quit at 25. Well, that means your life is going to be pretty easy because your body will heal most of the damage. Now imagine you're 57 and you need to quit smoking. Well, your life is never going to be as good as if you quit when you were 25. So if back in 1980, the United States had decided to kick the carbon habit, and we knew we had to back then, not for global warming purposes, then life would be different now. That carbon wouldn't have been released into the atmosphere, and we wouldn't have spent as much money minting billionaires.
0: And that was Jimmy Carter's point, wasn't it, cruise?
2: What I'm talking about in in terms of high-speed rail, um, I'm not saying that the present 75-mile-an-hour speed limit or our consideration of high-speed rail. Uh, I'm not saying that those are un- unsustainable. What I'm saying is that even talking about these human velocities as anything other than ridiculous means that we that we have an unsustainable lifestyle. And but when when I talk ha- about a, a 55 mile an hour national speed limit, I'm not talking about just what that would do in in terms of of energy savings. Not that that those aren't significant, but also it's a shock shock to the system. It's getting people used to the new normal, which is slow. We need to slow down everything. And that that will, uh, will save fuel. It will keep us from burning excess fuel. And if we slow down enough, we can actually make a considerable difference. That is conservation. Uh, the modern and, modern and, environmentalist down, talks about conservation yeah, very little, very little.
0: And when you say slow down, you're not just talking about slowing down the speed limit. You're talking about using alternative modes of transportation. That there really isn't any real reason why we have to fly to Cleveland and not rather than take a train to Cleveland if we live in. in why New are York, we going but. to
2: Cleveland? That's my question. Okay, <laughs> once you get once you get people, what what the fuck is there in Cleveland that I need to go to?
0: <laughs> uh,
2: that's that's, that's back point. to Sterling's
0: it, it, earlier point, saying why aren't we working at home? We don't need to go into these offices exactly, anymore,
2: Exactly. Right? Exactly. We 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 were told that all these new internet technologies and everything we're going to we're going to keep us from burning hydrocarbon fuels.
0: And, and what do we do
2: with them? In, we
1: we have people drop shift off to our door by overnight, which means a jet airplane,
2: exactly, right? The exactly. Through Memphis. Memphis. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So so in terms of of this one thing the the fifty five mile an hour speed limit um idea is is it's a test i wanna put it up there and and see who lobbies against it okay chuck schumer and yeah yeah uh not only that but but you'll you'll find a lot of progressives who who are who are all in favor of 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 protesting uh hydrocarbon fuels or anything like that but but, you know, they do not want to drive 55 miles an hour. They want to drive 70 miles an hour.
0: Okay, and in terms of people. being
2: stuck in traffic, you know, and things like that, it's just it's just, we need a shock to the system to slow us down. We need we need, we need, something to get us to start talking about a new normal. So, well, well, let, can let me write talk- a couple of chains here.
1: Uh, one, we should look at the work of Paul Krugman in the form of the New Economic Geography, and the other one we should look at Robert Solo in his work on how much do you have to invest in the future versus spend on the consumption in the present. And the key to Krugman's Nobel Memorial Prize winning idea is that there's three corners to prices and trade. One is what people want. The second one is how much does economies of scale reduce costs. And the third is transportation costs. And what makes this three startling and startled everybody, was that if transportation costs hit a certain boundary, then things localize very, very quickly. If they go below that boundary, they centralize very, very quickly. So once upon a time, we had lots of car companies, we had lots of agricultural systems, but then when the cost of transportation drops by enough, then people stop getting good tomatoes and they start getting industrial tomatoes, and there are a few car companies and there's a few
2: financial centers and so
0: on. So well, and your clothes are being made three thousand miles, away,
2: yeah. or 6, well, because, miles as, away. As long as the as long as the only uh determinant of whether I'm going to drive two hundred and fifty miles to to see a concert and back is if I can afford it, then this ain't gonna work. Yeah. Uh, so, so what we need to do is so one thing lowering the speed limit does is that it makes it makes them pay in time to go to that concert two hundred and fifty miles away. And that also So means maybe that they'll sit down and just watch now. the concert on, on the internet.
0: It certainly, you said Solo had insight as well.
2: Okay. So
1: so Solo spent a lot of his time in his career talking about the price of resources and the value of capital. And he said that there's two kinds of capital right? There's capital which you're spending on consumption, that is to make things for yourself, and there's capital which is designed to conserve resources. And he talked about the... What do you mean
0: by that? What's an example? Okay, of that?
1: well, well, so so let me take an example. If I build a McDonald's restaurant, that's capital, right? But it's not saving resources. It's there to spend resources faster, right? So there's a ratio between what you're spending on yourself, so you should count... Capital that you build to consume in the present, not as investment, but as consumption. That a McDonald's is basically consumption just the same way that driving your car is consumption. That if you build capital which is designed to produce consumption in the present, it's the same thing as consumption. Right? Right, that okay. one I
0: get. But what, what's, what's an example of the Electron?
1: Okay, so let's say that I go from a carbureted engine to a gasoline direct in, in, injected engine. Okay, that's going to about double the productive efficiency of the engine. Now, either I can spend that on making a bigger car with more seats and more gadgets in it, or I can spend that on making the car go more miles on the same amount of gasoline. If cars were the same weight as they were in 1975, we would be blowing the doors off the cafe standard. But they're not. Cars are about 50% heavier. So, that's a very good example of the trade off between investing in, in a technology in this case gasoline direct injection because there haven't been carbureted uh cars in America since the early 1990s I think Zuzu made the last one here. versus making investment in reducing the amount of gasoline that we're burning okay so you should you should count investment in consumption as consumption as opposed to investment in changing the resources that you use and we have to slow down right now because we have done 30 years of very very frenzied speeding up to consume we have not been investing in making it so that we can do more with less mostly we've been investing in creating a political economy and to get back to the problem we have in the paper economy is that all the profits from the carbon economy are now pooling up into smaller and smaller number of hands. Remember that when the internal combustion engine economy broke loose, one of the reasons it did was because more of the profits from the internal combustion economy could flow into individual hands, into consumers and workers and individuals, rather than the previous coal economy, which was very, very centralized. Okay. Now, what's scary in terms of substitution is what was advertised back in the 80s and early 90s was that things like the Internet and electronic technology would be the new economy, right? So it was filled with techno-libertarians who were preaching uh, things like the Cathedral and the Bazaar and Ayn Rand, and they were saying, you know, this is the place where more of the benefits will flow to individual consumers and individual producers rather than to a few large companies, we have managed in basically 30 years of the Internet to duplicate what took 80 years in the petroleum economy, and that is more or less a few companies make all the money. Right? So right. we created a top-down system in our supposedly alternate you know, escape valve technology that will save us. So I'm going to argue sort of with fish grease that as long as our society is a top-down society, pick any technology you like build nuclear reactors, put solar panels on houses, and guess what? The profits will flow to a smaller and smaller number of people. And I'll take an example. You know what the hottest movement in residential solar right now is? You don't own the solar panels. You lease them so they can turn around and sell those as bonds. And they don't want to actually sell you the solar panels. They want to rent them to you, which means that the (laughs) profits are going to flow to a smaller and smaller number of companies. As soon as one company figures out the best model for residential solar, like Starbucks, they will buy up everybody else, even if they're only a little bit better. Remember that Rockefeller became rich because he was a little bit cheaper on mining and a little bit cheaper on extraction and a little bit cheaper on refining than anybody else. They and a little bit more
0: ruthless else. in, uh, in well, trading Well, once, once, once,
1: once, once you've got the cost advantage, you can grind everybody else into the ground. Right? You only have to be ahead by a little bit. And then you just take them out one at a time because you have the free cash flow and they don't. Right?
0: Yeah, we saw that Walmart where I come from. Um
1: yeah. call, it, call uh, we, it what you like, but the, 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 you, the your reference at the sugar table, right?
2: But, but I, your I, reference I have
1: more to tips to than the, you do. So what we're getting at is the, as long as we want a top down society, as long as we want a society with black demand, a carbon society, we will recreate it. Okay. One of my, my friends spent a good deal of time in Second Life And one of her things was she was depressed that everybody was acting like her parents and and trying to buy up houses and, and, you know, these kinds of things in an electronic environment which doesn't really have those limitations that they'd recreated exactly the society that they'd seen in the outside world. Right, and that depressed her no end.
2: Um, (laughs) And we're going to do that
1: again with the next technology. I have a question.
2: I have a question. Which do you think is more feasible... Um, within the next uh, five years, making our our society so it is no longer top down, or passing a law that says you can't drive over fifty-five miles miles an hour on any speed on any. The, the, what I'm saying here is is that we're talking about lofty ideas that are that are out of the reach of
1: the, the, us, the us, they, they, they go, normal people
2: actually doing anything. Okay, are not going to
1: get they they, get, they go together. Right? I live in a country where we can't even ban 100 round magazines for semi-automatic rifles. Okay? Yeah. An object which has no use but to kill people.
0: Okay. Well, then also it's heavily supported by an industry lobby that has an extraordinary amount of influence. And, uh, and
1: and 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 uh, fast cars aren't. Um,
0: exactly. I mean going <laughs> say right say here. that
1: i am i'm, right. I'm gonna say i'm gonna say very directly as as a speed addict and a whole bunch of other things the two things go together, and this goes back to Machiavelli. Good people will pass good laws, bad people will not pass good laws, and they will not be saved by any good laws that are left over so there,
2: you, if we you, you, want have, a you make a good Biden, point and 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 I'll even admit that that I think the chance of passing a national fifty five mile an hour speed limit um anytime soon. Is remote because we're we're all all of us Democrats Republicans Conservatives Progressives we're all a bunch of selfish pricks. And
0: we are. We are. Not um, the first person
2: to observe it. Look, but when, but when well, pre- like you're, pre- the, the,
1: you're preaching the, social change, too, you're saying slow down, yeah. right? Well, <laughs> slow is slow is a quality of life issue. There are people who don't want to join the industrial economy. I mean, my great grandmother. Didn't want to own a car. She had more than enough money to buy a car. Right. But in 1929, when she had 12 million dollars to her name, she didn't own a car. She had no use for one. Right. She did not want one. It's like it was unladylike. In that much of
2: Politically, this 55 mile an hour national speed limit idea is poison. Uh, it's what did Jimmy Carter in, because it it did what it was supposed to do. We we had a an Arab oil embargo. And when he dropped everybody to 55 miles an hour, it saved as just exactly as much fuel as he said it would, and we never forgave him for it. <laughs> well,
1: the other thing is the other thing is the, the big thing out here is congestion, right? I, I track my my gas mileage religiously,
0: and uh, I just, will tell you that just so people know congestion. where you're, you're talking about. You're talking about the Beltway, which is one of the most congested areas in the country.
1: I'm talking about the Beltway, New York City, and I 93 in Boston, Massachusetts. They're all horror shows. Um, and quite frankly, everybody who's ever had to do those kinds of drives says that's wasted time. That's wasted time. So it's not as if our society right now is really saving us time. If you look at the amount of leisure that people in America have, it's been going down. Okay, so 40 years of voting for lower taxes, 40 years of trying to drive faster, forty years of faster internet, and we have less free time, we pay higher taxes, and we have lower, on average, real incomes. Okay.
2: And we're, so and we're burning definite, more carbon.
1: And we're burning more carbon to do it. So the definition yep. of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We're oil holics and we need to kick the habit. And the way you could well, kick the habit is by saying, I, just, I don't want that life anymore. I don't want it. I
0: just anymore. want to go back to what you said about fuel injection and what we did with fuel injection that should have made our cars more efficient. We instead made them less efficient.
2: Well, let
1: me take an example. Uh, a, an exotic fast car back in 1982 would do zero to 60 in about five seconds. That was one of the fastest production automobiles available in an ordinary killer lot. Okay, now we have Camrys that will do that. V right. V6 Camry rechipped for $695 on top of the base price of the automobile will outpull everything but a 911 that was available in the United States in 1980. That includes the Ford Mustang. Okay, and, so yeah. we, we, there is no reason in the world to need to go from zero to 60, that fast, outside of a track, other than the fact that the guy next to you can do it, right? We don't need it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fast driver. I, I go out and I track cars. And quite frankly, the performance of even relatively ordinary automobiles is well beyond what you should be using on the open road, let alone could be using on the open road most times. It's just not safe.
2: Okay, and another <laughs> thing with with slowing down by law is that, once you start designing vehicles so their top speed is 55 or 60 miles an hour, then then you start seeing real savings. In other words, my, I say my truck at 55, I get 22 miles to the gallon. At 75, which is the speed limit here in Montana, uh, I get 15 miles to the gallon. Okay? Now, if my truck was designed with fifty five mile an hour miles an hour as a top speed, I would probably getting be getting twenty six or twenty eight miles to the gallon okay so, okay. so now looks- when you when i talk when you talk about going that speed then you all of a sudden you've got all these eighteen wheelers uh, over the road trucks that are designed that their top speed is fifty five miles per hour and going up a hill they they probably won't do thirty five Okay so, so at the other end, when I when I'm in a, in a Walmart, when I'm running a Walmart in California and I am expecting a load of goods from Ohio to get to me, I'm going to have to put up with it getting there not as fast
0: <laughs> or you're going to have to make it local. Which is Well, that's, that, and that's the point that, you're yeah, making yes. Earlier it Sterling, makes it, it, make,
2: it makes local. It's a step toward uh making local businesses more profitable. It, right. it, it, when you lower the speed limit, it does all these things. It, 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 so it, it sets us up for a new normal. It's a shock to the system. It's, uh, it does all those things. So that's why so, I, I'm, I'm saying that it, it's a good first step. If we can't so you're even talking, do that, if we can't even slow down from 75 miles an hour to 55 miles an hour on a national basis, by law, then I just don't know how we're going to get anything else done.
0: So what you're really doing is saying we need to recognize the corner that Krugman talked about, that Sterling referred to. We need to increase transport costs in order to change the way people live. And
1: and change what people value. Consumer choice is the other part of the triangle. So if you value cheap tomatoes, you're going to have to raise transportation costs a lot to be able to make it so the people who want locally grown tomatoes. On the other hand, if you make it so the people who want heirloom tomatoes that, that have flavor, then you don't have to increase transportation costs anywhere near as much. And that's what the local right. food movement is doing. It's the Bespoke food movement, right? You cannot you cannot for almost any amount of money ship heirloom tomatoes. Okay? If you develop a case for fresh local food that you grow, preferably that you grow yourself or that somebody near you grows grown with cover crops rather than nitrogen fertilizer there's, it's very 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 expensive to replace that and you're not going to want to go to the supermarket and buy tomatoes that are fertilized into the ground picked by people who are making two bucks an hour you
2: won't do it Uh, because those tomatoes aren't working part of that Sterling goes back to uh, uh, years back. Uh, Chevy Chase wrote a an editorial, and in that editorial, Chevy Chase said, uh, "Tell your tell your fish guy that you want sustainable species." Okay, you know, and and I'm I make good money, but I don't have a fish guy. You know, I'm, <laughs> not, a, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase has a fish guy. Most of us. Don't have fish guys, okay? We go to we go to Walmart and we buy tilapia or whatever it is, you know, or we buy cod that was that was packaged. Bacon in in the sea.
0: sea. Well, uh, well
2: the from, from tilapia is,
1: is raised in a way to 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 give people a big hit of fat, okay? And there's a reason why you know people like me call it bacon of the sea, right? It has almost none compared to other species of fish. Of the actual good LDCs that
2: lower your cholesterol, how about cod and eating a lot oh, of cod? Oh, whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa! This, this, this is a this is a side <laughs> issue. All right, I'm sorry. No, okay, no, no, that, no, 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 no. I think
1: track. going off on track. As
0: long as we issue. want that, point, as long as we want suburbia,
1: then McKibben's numbers are in play. Okay, and what McKibben is pointing out, and I'm going to be more aggressive than he is, is that basically. We pretended that the carbon economy is worth X trillion dollars and there's no way we're going to get there because long before we've gotten there, we will have burned through all of the rest of the value in the society in the form of the climate, right? The land you're standing on, the city you're standing on either won't be there because it'll be swamped on a regular basis or the place that grows your food will not be able to grow your food anymore, or there will be people trying to come over the border from the desertified areas of the world, such as Mexico, such as as Africa, and they're going to say, I don't care what the border is, I'm going to take your land from you unless you defend it, and that is bad for business all the way around. So basically, McKibben's number, to go farther than McKibben, is more or less 75% of what we pretend is the value of the carbon economy is going to come out of people's hides someone's going to lose that money. You're not making money by building the next car or building the next coal-fired plant or even building the next gas-fired plant. You're taking that money
0: from somebody else. Okay. In the the near future, in in, in a generation's time.
1: Well, McKibben points out in his article that the numbers are already starting to work their way into long-term financial instruments, that our, our economic prosperity, our paper prosperity is based on assumptions about what houses are worth, what oil companies are worth, what Apple computer is worth, that just don't physically make sense. We we say in the sciences that something's not physically plausible. That means there's no way we can visualize that it actually happens. And so if your numbers say it could happen and there's no way it can happen, you've made a mistake in your map someplace, right? And somewhere in there, our pretense that we can have the richest rich that ever lived and pay ourselves with the profits of billionaires, so that we can retire and burn actual oil, does not make sense. And I can go into the theory of that, but I think those the message sense. that we have it, is that it, it doesn't work. It well, you're ex-
2: asking someone uh, my age, okay? In my lifetime, if I if I'm a selfish prick, then this is probably going to all work out pretty good for me because
1: your future discount I'm, is different from everybody else's. Yeah, we get it. Because
2: I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna die before this happened. It, it's the arrogance of the presently living. Yeah, Well, but like yeah, you said, if you're 25 death years death. old, then, then, that, then that does not stand true for you. You, you are going to find the, the numbers that McKibben is talking about to be, to be very relevant.
1: Well, and, and here's a lesson from biology and a lesson from economics, which is more or less a branch of biology in many respects. Systems correct rapidly. That is, things are going great until you hit the wall. So if you put a couple of caribou, male and female, in a closed area and let them loose, they're going to do great and they're going to produce lots of new caribou because there's no predators and then very quickly the last great blade of grass will be eaten and that will be it. The population crashes. The stock market crashes, right? We you, we, we just thought it took decades to create the stock market bubble. It took months to wipe it out and now we've basically recreated it and we're paying for that in the form of our economy right? so well, we are already slowing down this, this, this is what I, what, I, what, I, what I want people to realize about what Fish Greece is saying Fish Greece is saying slow down anything there's going to be resistance no we're already slowing down, people are already stuck in their houses we're already paying the slow tax if we're going to pay the, pay the slow tax we might as well at least get what we want for it which I would assert is survival
0: Right. see there's there, there are two there are three actually models of species population growth, mm-hmm. one of them is essentially you know up and down uh, the, ha- the the hair and the lynx model the where there 's fluctuation between two boundaries you know if if it happens to be a bad winter and there 's not much grass and the, then the populations fall if there 's a lot of grass populations rise, and it fluctuates you know like a sine wave. The other model is the Petri Dish model, where you put a bacterium into a petri dish and it expands until it uses it all up and then everything dies. And then there's that is exponential growth and then the crash. And then there's the human model, which is exponential growth. Oh wait, maybe there are really only two models. Well that is, um
1: yeah. Uh there there's 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 the reality that in I like to say it this way. Just because life will go on doesn't mean your life will go on. It might be nice to say, well, you know, it's a chaotic model between two points of equilibrium and there there are attractors at the ends. And you can can see strategies of species that are designed around times are going to be good and times are going to be bad. So they have a good time strategy and a bad time strategy, and it's genetic. So there are types of mouse that will preferentially produce lots more males when times are good, sort of take a chance on the genetic lottery and a lot more females when times are bad and say, well, females take a lot less energy to raise and produce and they have a much better chance of leaving descendants. So, right.
0: Uh, Red mule
1: here, actually. Since we're,
2: since we're real close to the end of the hour, yep. I would like to ask, um, what can we do about this?
0: I mean, are,
2: are there steps that we can take now to start – Solving this problem, I came up with the fifty five mile an hour national speed limit as as remotely possible as that is um, well,
0: but you're also talking about a public education effort of just slow down
2: yes not... yes and, and and that is that when when you when you slow one thing that important down that every that a lot of people are exposed to every day, that's a shock to the system, and that's what we need right now is a shock to the system. When people say say that you know I deserve to fly to Cleveland, no, you don't. You deserve any such thing. You don't make deserve a phone call man. Yes,
1: yes. Make a phone call. Well, right. I'm I'm going to say uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan said that the central conservative insight is that culture matters, and the central liberal insight is that politics can change culture.
2: And
0: right.
1: If you look at the cost of our carbon addiction right now, for example, a lot of people are very angry about wealth inequality. Well, Why do we have wealth inequality? Well, we have wealth inequality because our rich have to stay ahead of their rich and be able to buy up resources and buy up stock. So the reason we have super rich people is because the profits are going to the carbon economy. Those profits are draining down into the hands of a very small number of producers, those producers can then turn around and spend that money, which is fictional, on buying up control of other things. So we have to mint billionaires to stay ahead of their principles. So if you look at the number of ills in society that are being caused by the carbon economy in terms of how healthy we are, how our society is structured, the Koch brothers couldn't buy the society unless somebody bought the oil from them, right? The Koch brothers couldn't buy the society unless we couldn't tax them. If you look at how many ways we are ill, we're like an alcoholic. The first step for the alcoholic is to realize you've got a problem, and then you start realizing that you should be sick and tired of being sick and tired.
0: And this right proposal is meant to highlight that. It's meant to say this is one thing we can do right now.
2: It's a shock to the system. It. It uh, also it would it would tend to lower fuel prices but I, I i would like to end this say we do not allow fuel prices to be lowered we 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 tax them to where instead of two fifty fi two fifty a gallon gasoline, which is what fifty five mile an hour would would do uh we keep it at four dollars a gallon and we right. and the only the only energy technology savior for this planet is fusion, and I don't care how impossible it is or anything else. We need to start pouring money into that.
0: Well, a trillion because spent it's there. It's the only
2: of, thing that will save us. It's the only.
0: What, thing. It, it, it's a trillion spent there makes a hell of a lot more sense than a trillion spent trying to own the uh, oil wells in Iraq. Yeah. Um, we're going We're gonna. I just want to make one final note, and that is that public education campaigns have succeeded. We've seen them succeed. Um, if you get into a car with a teenager, they immediately put on their seatbelt. There's no question they're going to do that. Smoking has been.
2: Greatly reduced
0: by drunk driving is the third one, I was going to say, yes. All three of those things have been the result of public awareness and education campaigns, just like the one that Fish Grease is proposing here. So I really think it's uh, worth taking into account. And with that, folks, we're going to leave it there. Um, Sterling, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Fish Grease. We always love hearing from Montana. That's the uh, point of view we don't get enough of here, virtually speaking. And uh, thank you, folks, for joining us. Good night.
2: All right. See you. There uh, is
0: something uh, unbelievable, and that this means I want to make, especially I'm coming from uh, one of the famous uh, traditional. being on to the the still with me?